If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar. Joining me today are associates from the Nemours Office for National Prevention and Practice, including Kate Blackburn, a manager on that team, Allison Gertel-Rosenberg, Vice President for National Prevention and Practice, and Bilal Taylor, who, until recently, served as a senior program and policy analyst. Together with so many others across the nation, they have brought forth a project called the Integrator Learning Lab, which began as a concept paper in 2012. By integrator, we're talking about population health integrators, which we're defining as, quote, entities that serve a convening role and work intentionally and systematically across multiple sectors in a region to achieve a common purpose specific to health outcomes of an entire geography of people. Since 2018, with funding from the Kresge Foundation and in partnership with the UCLA Center for Healthier Children, Families, and Communities, that 2012 concept paper is now a fully realized, evidence-based set of nine scalable integrator networks aimed at improving health outcomes within communities, urban or suburban or rural, through cooperative effort and led by those who best understand a community's overall health needs – the people who live and work there. We'll take a closer look at the network based in my home state of Connecticut, Bridgeport to be exact, and find out about the resulting toolkit now available for anyone to use as a roadmap to implement, scale, and personalize their own integrator community health network. Allison Girdle-Rosenberg gets us started with a brief history of the Integrator Learning Lab at Nemours. So the Integrator Lab is actually a long-living project in a broad sense of the Nemours National Office of Policy and Prevention. And so it's something we've been thinking about since about 2012. And this idea really is, as we think about how do we work across organizations, across sectors, so healthcare, education, community, et cetera, how do we do the work that we know is so important? And we know that there's a lot embedded in working across organizations And starting to put names to those goals and activities and to really give them a strong grounding both in the in the science, but also in the value to give them value by naming them and providing them with the exposure that they need. We really felt that that would help organizations and communities really be able to focus on that work in a new way. There are functions that we all perform when we work with each other and they hadn't been named. They've been in the background, if you will. And so we all knew we had to do them, but no one had accountability for them. No one had responsibility for them. They were sort of, I'll do that on top of my other work. And we all have those things. But this was really an idea of saying for this type of work to be successful, for integrators to be successful, for integrative functions to be successful, they needed to be called out 
people needed to be given the time and the resources, whether that was money, people power, et cetera, to do them. And that paper was really an early attempt in the field to put a name to those responsibilities and to figure out how they could be woven throughout the work in new ways. And the nice part about that work is 2012 to 2021, they really stood the test of time, if you will, and the test of trying to put them into play. And when we did this work in 2021, we heard from most people that those functions, whether they're governance functions or data functions or functions that talk more about the how, as we're saying, less about the what and more about the how, they all stood the test of time. And in fact, we're becoming more recognized in the field. We were hearing it more, whether it was the quarterback function or um, the integrator function or you know, we're well known for giving things a lot of different names, but the general consensus was we all needed to think about the how more and start to think about how we were going to resource that in a standard way. So give me an example, and this could be Allison, Kate, or Bilal. Give me an example of who is an integrator, what is an integrator, what is it you're naming? So we think about integrators in a couple of ways. So I think bigger picture first, moving the needle on measures of population health and well-being for everyone living in a community requires collaboration between sectors. So if you want, for example, to make sure that every family has access to and can afford healthy food, one organization can't do that alone. So you need community residents, you need government, community development, business, transportation partners, all kinds of folks need to be involved. So when we frame it out at that broad level of improving something for everybody in the community, we think about integrators in two ways. So we think about integrators as the organizations that set the table for that cross-sector work to occur by securing buy-in from leaders and partner organizations, sort of those resource brokers at the top of organizations typically. And we also think about integrators as the organizations that take ownership and responsibility for the activities that need to keep the cross-sector collaboration happening in the day-to-day. So to Allison's earlier point um, about sort of taking ownership of whether it's the data sharing pieces or the convening pieces or the telling the story back to the community, but having a clear owner and somebody to carry that out so the burden doesn't fall on one or just a small group of folks. It seemed to us that in our original conversations with folks across the field that we heard a lot about this community is doing great at like maybe data integration or these folks are doing really great around having governance structures that pull in the community so that the vision for what they're working on is really community owned and there's that buy-in. But what we actually found was interesting is when we did reach out to these folks, A lot of them said, yes, we might be good at this piece and this particular integrative activity, but we're still weak over here. So nobody that we talked to um, when we did a a series of interviews early on in the project, there was no organization that claimed to have figured all of it out and to claim to be strong in all of the areas. So I think everybody has really this spirit of leading and learning in the community. And it sounds a lot like there is wisdom to be learned from unsiloing yourself as an individual or an organization and really looking to other individuals and organizations to replicate, if you will, their best practices in in particular areas. Very much so. So I am curious about that project in Bridgeport. Tell me, what is that project within the Integrator Lab? 
Well, we, we do love our partners in, in Connecticut. Uh, maybe I could just say a quick word, though, about, about the, the broader context in which led us to working closely with Bridgeport. Some of the commonalities for all of the projects we worked with the networks were that they had really a, they had a broad range of issues. We were somewhat issue agnostic initially, but we said that, you know what, we want you to be aiming to really make a systemic level change in your community, and we want to know that there is a healthcare partner that is a part of this change because I think as Kate and Allison mentioned, we know that no one entity or institution can do this alone, but healthcare always plays a major role. And that certainly was the case um, with our Bridgeport partners. And so the range of issues we saw varied, but most of our project partners were looking at issues birth to eight or birth to five, really making sure that young people and their family had the services that they need to thrive. That ultimately helps to contribute to a thriving community. So quickly, if I might, I'll just name some of the other communities and we'll say 60 seconds on Bridgeport because they are phenomenal. Uh, We also had the pleasure of working with groups in Sarasota, Florida, a network there. We worked with Guilford, North Carolina, uh, a network in Washington, D.C., a network in Patterson, New Jersey. I'm proud as a Philadelphian to say we worked with a partner in uh, Philadelphia as well. Also, we went to the West Coast and worked with some good partners in Los Angeles, California, as well as Ventura, California. We can't forget Kalispell, Montana, out there in the heartland, if you will. And then let's just maybe zoom in on Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, Bridgeport was a really interesting case because the partner that led this effort was the United Way there of coastal Fairfield County. But they were also working closely with Yale New Haven Health. And they had we thought at the time were modest yet bold goals of saying that the Bridgeport Prospers Network had its own formation. And it's funny you mentioned Unsilo and Carol, but Bridgeport was working in its work. There was also a group called the Health Improvement Alliance, which was led by a bunch of healthcare partners, including Yale New Haven Health. So some of their goals were to figure out what is the secret sauce? How do we come together as two different initiatives under the broad heading of uh, a health enhancement community or the HEC? So a couple of the goals they wanted from some of our partners there and our experts was to figure out how do we do the memorandums of understanding, do the sort of part around just forming partnerships. Allison mentioned that governance piece. How do we then bring two entities under one umbrella? But really, you know, one of their main goals was also to think about how do we lift up the voice of Bridgeport residents in an equitable fashion? And that's really where they knocked it out of the park along with some of our other groups. And so one of our dear friends at Yale New Haven Health talked about how the integration Learning Lab helped them to rethink this idea of going from data to information. So for example, when they do their community health needs assessments, they were able to work with community residents in Bridgeport to better understand how they define the needs, to go along with all that good data that the hospital system had in a way that really helped to raise the voices of Bridgeport residents as leaders under the health enhancement community, but they were also able to do the good work that they were looking to do to bring those two entities together. And we can imagine with dozens of groups at the table to get those memorandums of understanding and to be able to march in one voice with Bridgeport residents at the lead and Bridgeport residents that they compensated, which was a big part of the work, because they know that when professionals tend to come to these spaces, we're not certainly coming for free. So there's a real big emphasis in Bridgeport on making sure that their voices of Bridgeport residents were elevated. They were given paid roles in this work, and then they became the leaders. And what we see there is a Bridgeport Prospers and HI under that heck that really is stronger than ever and really uh, elevates community voice in terms of establishing what the needs are, but also establishing what the resources are that can be brought to bear. Why is it important to know what the needs of a community are in terms of public health? Why is it important, so important to listen to the community? 
Well, I think the cases that we saw, we had individual entities and institutions, large institutions such as Yale and United Ways. Certainly they come with their own information, but yet that information is within a certain context. And so I think what we've seen is that not only when you bring community in and you you sort of empower community who are the experts and you demystify that expertise, you're getting a sort of level of information and data on how children and families are doing that may not show up even in the most in- intricate statistical models if you're looking at uh, Uh, census data, you need to hear from community. But at the same time, we understand that that oftentimes needs to be translated back. So we found that when these individual institutions led by community are understanding where community's needs are, et cetera, we also need to make sure that there's that feedback loop with community so that we can ultimately be accountable um, to them and to really sort of help them to say, how do I find these resources? Something I think Allison and Kate and I have talked about often is it is the, we want to listen to community and you're the experts, but then we can't make it your job now to unsilo seven large institutions and you shouldn't have to take take 10, 12 steps to get to the care you need. So it's really listening, but then it's quickly pivoting to make sure that we're able to play the role that we all play as institutions and institutional leaders so that we don't put an undue burden on community once we've listened and heard their needs. How does the community benefit from these projects, from the Integrator Learning Lab overall, and how do you measure success? So I think some really important points that Bilal has brought up so eloquently here are some major changes that we saw between 2012 and 2021. So obviously the world has changed. The issues that are driving the world between 2012 and 2021 have shifted. Um, And equity and that community voice are all really critical components of when you look at the work in 2021 of integrative functions compared to that initial 2012 paper. And I think that is really indicative of the changing context. They've always been important, but once again, we've named them. We've given them credibility, and now they are being incorporated into work in, I think, much greater ways. Community benefit to communities has actually been centered here. And Kate is always a great reminder that the work that happened in the Integrator Learning Lab was very much action-oriented. We could have gone down the path of talking about theories and models, et cetera, and that's all really important. The goal was to leave communities with actions they could take that would move the work forward. Um, you know, Kate used the terminology leaders and learners, um, and that's something we've, we've leaned heavily into during the course of this work because we wanted not only the nine communities who we were working with to benefit from this, but also to be putting stuff out into the field that folks could pick up who didn't have the opportunity to participate in the learning lab and still be able to action orient themselves to the work. And I think that has been one of the great outcomes of the work. And we talked a little bit earlier about how to share some of this, which seems a little dry, I'm sure, to some people who are trying to take this on and to think about the visuals for it. And, you know, we had the opportunity back in the beginning of 2020 before COVID hit um, to actually bring our communities together in person. Remember those days. We hope they're coming back. Um, and it was great to bring them into one room and to learn together. And one of the activities that we did with one of our experts was what we call the rubber band exercise. And it was as simple as a piece of cardboard and some push pins and some rubber bands. And the community started to lay out who all the people, the right people and organizations were to have at the table to do this type of work, right? So it's not just numbers, it's do we have the right organizations and the right systems at the table to achieve the goals we're trying to achieve. And so once they started to lay out, you know, who each of those organizations or people were, 
and they were represented by push pins, they started to link them together. And they started to put rubber bands between the ones that were linked. And what was created were some really amazing visuals that showed that these systems currently operate to do what systems are meant to do. They serve the system they're trying to serve. And in reality, we need to put communities and families and children at the center of this work and really start to rethink how the systems are working together, how they're connected, and how they're serving that population of folks who are the intended users and customers of them. And so when you started to see this laid out with rubber bands and push pins, you saw that there were some that had a ton of rubber bands really tightly wound around them and they were all really connected. And then you saw some that were stretched really far apart and maybe had one connection. And then even others that were little push pins sitting out on the side and not connected to anything at all, yet still serving the same population. And what that visual allowed them to do was to start the conversations that were around items like, how do we connect to that organization sitting over there that's so important and is currently not connected to us at all? Or how do we take some of the burden off of these systems that are tightly wound together and maybe aren't efficient or effective in doing the services that they need to do, but are taking them on because they feel like they're the only ones who can at this point in time. And so I think that visual sort of instruction, such a simple thing, right? Things you have laying around your house probably, as you think about your own systems, really encourage the communities to think about how do we achieve these goals that we set out to do? How do we integrate the learnings that we're taking from these experts in the room and from our partners and communities across the country and really change them into action that's going to support kids, families, communities? And, you know, we started to point out earlier that for each of these communities in Bridgeport was a great example. They all had goals at the beginning. And the great part about it is at the end of the labs, they all also had successes. It doesn't mean they've achieved everything. These are these are long-term marathons. We use a lot of track and field terminology when we when we talk about this work. These are long-term marathons that folks and communities are on. And at the same time, we realize that important wins, short-term sprints, whatever we're going to call them, are really what's going to encourage them to continue that run, continue that goal. And so it's really a balancing act between achieving all of those steps that are achievable and still not losing sight of how we're trying to get to these equitable outcomes for communities around health and well-being. You mentioned the pandemic. How did that affect the work? You all met, I'm guessing, early in 2020, all the nine communities represented in one place, mm-hmm. did the rubber band exercise, and then, boom, the pandemic hit. How did that impact all of this? So we launched the Integrator Learning Lab in January with nine networks. And then, like you said, when the pandemic hit, everyone's overwhelmed personally, organizationally, et cetera. So we realistically were prepared for networks to drop out, weren't sure what it would look like. So Bilal and I began to get on the phone with everyone, have conversations as to how to move forward. And to our surprise, all but one of the networks was able to stay involved. So in fact, the general consensus was that strengthening the integrator role became more important than ever. So they needed to suddenly accommodate these sharp spikes in community needs, basic needs, even helping with PPE and that sort of thing. And they needed to figure out how to keep the work moving in what became a suddenly virtual world for in many instances. So we wound up slowing the work, like maybe we left a few extra weeks in between our encounters with them, our technical assistance meetings, but all but one network was able to stay and became actually more involved. And then 
we did a series of closeout interviews last November. Bilal and I asked them in those closeout interviews how the pandemic impacted network focus and functioning. It was really interesting to see that there was four very clear themes. So uh, the pandemic led to a greater urgency in terms of addressing pressing health equity concerns, including those that were related to like racial justice, social justice issues. The second was that the pandemic shined a spotlight on the interconnection between social needs and their root causes. So it wasn't like, oh, we provide housing vouchers and that's it. But now we realize that it it can't stop there. It has to be housing vouchers and advocacy and policy change so that we don't have the need for all of those vouchers. The third thing that it really shined a spotlight on was that public and private funding sources became more flexible. So where it maybe previously was Funder X provides funding to look at, I don't know, diabetes specific, something or other. We saw more funders being willing to look at a broader definition of health and well-being and fund in those buckets. And then finally, networks found it easier to sustain partners. So if you think about the fact that there were these unexpected benefits, one was that suddenly you didn't have to drive. You know, if you were serving countywide or you were in a rural county, people just needed to log into a Zoom meeting and they could be at that meeting. So it really eliminated a lot of the barriers to participation for community members and for our colleagues. Just to, to to pull on that, because I think it's so important. One of the interesting things about working at Nemours National Office of Policy and Prevention is that our focus in general is a push and a pull. So we are a health system, right? And the majority of our colleagues are providing awesome, amazing, high quality health care. And then the investment that Nemours made in the national office a decade ago was this idea that we know that health is happening outside the walls of healthcare, And so if we really want to make healthy generations of kids, what are we going to do to advance that? And so our job as an office has always been to, to number one, look outside of Nemours and think about what can we bring back because other people are doing it. And then two, to see what's happening and push out innovation with an idea that our goal, whether they cross our doorstep or not, is to improve the health and well-being of all kids. And so any project that we work on starts with these, you know, in this example, nine communities who we are working with and doing a ton of great work with. And thanks to great external funders who help us do this work, in this case, the Kresge Foundation, our goal is always to spread beyond them. So how do we spread and scale? So to Bilal's point, we looked at communities that were rural, that were urban, that were big, that were small, that were west, that were east, that were red, that were blue, that were purple, that you know, that you can do this because you're gonna see a community that looks like you in this set of communities. And then the great thinking by Kate and Bilal that went into the package of materials that now sits out there free for anybody to use that says, here are the tools we used. Here's how we use them. Here's why we use them. Here they are. Click and download. They're yours now. Use them. Think about how you can do this in your community. Here are videos of people talking about how they did this in their community. Listen to them. Learn from them. Here are you know the papers that give you the background that might say, um, help you go to your funder or help you go to your institution and say, here's the value in this. All of those things have been put in place for that exact reason of the question you asked. Nine communities is great. We're really excited about those nine communities. Nine communities doesn't solve the problems that this country has about children's health and well-being. We need more. And really the the final materials that came out of this project are our attempt to continue to say to communities, when you're ready, 
here it is. Use it. Use this. Learn from this. Make it better. And then tell us about what you did so that we're all continually learning from each other and benefiting from the investments that we're all making in this type of work. Allison Girdle Rosenberg is Nemours Vice President for National Prevention and Practice. She was joined in conversation about the Integrator Learning Lab by manager Kate Blackburn and Bilal Taylor, who until recently was a senior program and policy analyst in that same office. Looking for more information about the Integrator Learning Lab? We'll post a link to the toolkit and more in the show notes for this episode. What do Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio.com, Stitcher, Spotify, and your favorite smart speaker have in common? They're all locations where you'll find the Nemours Champions for Children podcast for streaming or download. Please subscribe and share it with your fellow associates. We'd love to have your story as the focus of an upcoming episode. Simply email us at podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Thanks to our production team, Deborah Griffin and Peter Adebi. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. On behalf of Allison Girdle Rosenberg, Kate Blackburn, and Bilal Taylor, I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children and families we serve.